This is Cinema Drive, movies that fuel us. Our passion is the power of film, to engage, to transcend, and to endure. Honey, I Shrunk the Podcast. <laughs> because only true fans of Honey, I Shrunk the Kids will be listening to this episode. I guess it's true. Hey, but it's a classic, and it's a big part of our childhoods, and we had to talk about it. Hi, I'm Ryan. And I'm Jason. And we are the co-hosts of Cinema Drive, a podcast where we talk about awesome films like Independence Day, Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, and the podcast where we also get into foreign films, as you'll be hearing from us more about next episode. We are all over the place. We are about all kinds of films that mean something legacy-wise. And today we're talking about films that we grew up loving. Uh, products of the wonderful summer of 1989. Wonderful year. Wonderful summer. Yeah. Honey, I Shrunk the Kids and Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. Uh, whoa, both are uh, mouthfuls for sure. Uh, but it's great timing to talk about Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, which at the time of this recording, we have not yet watched Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny, but I'm guessing Last Crusade is still the second greatest Indiana Jones film. I'm 99 percent sure that you're correct perhaps even 89 percent sure <laughs> considering this is the summer of 1989 that we're talking about yeah two films that don't necessarily have a ton to do with each other but ones that we could fill a saturday enjoying as kids the, these are uh both to me they both have that feeling of just joy and fun and make me think of being a kid on the weekend uh just reveling in great stories yeah uh that had Equal parts, warmth and humor, adventure and action. Uh, very iconic films. Mm -hmm. uh, still to this day, and ones I love to watch with my kids. And I got to watch both of these with my kids recently. Have your kids seen both these films? They have seen Honey, I Shrunk the Kids yeah. multiple, multiple times. Outside of Raiders, we have not visited sure. any of the other Indiana Jones films. Sure. I was going to say the other Indiana Jones three films but there's really only two films <laughs> outside of Raiders so yeah absolutely you know these were both films that I had as a kid on Betamax and we all know how I feel about my Betamax I loved it so of course I love these films these were movies that I watched way 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 too young uh, <laughs> I grew up in you know a, a pretty conservative Protestant Christian home and I was 99% convinced that when Moses wrote the book of Genesis he huh. pulled from Raiders and Last Crusade for the Ark of the Covenant and the Holy Grail because right. I mean there was the Bible and Indiana Jones <laughs> this is the history of my religion yeah <laughs> pretty much uh, I pretty learned much. so much <laughs> the Holy Grail uh, yeah, I mean that's what I love about this was the imaginative sense of adventure and, and how the imagination connect, connected so well to the real world yeah where Indiana Jones has always felt historical I mean you have a whole young Indiana Jones series it's all about you know each one is him you know rubbing elbows with some historical figure and and you know taking part in something historical so that that's where you know the imagination gets to kind of 
launch off from. And sure. Same with Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, where it's a scientist who's trying to figure out how this thing is going to work, and it's it it survives and it grounds itself by showing very real familial archetypes. Yeah, absolutely. Parents and children, and and uh, you know the desires of a teenager and a kid, and and. And all that coming together, and well, so it grounds it well. Ryan, before we get too deep down <laughs> that bunny trail, I can tell how excited you are because uh, we haven't even answered or asked I know. the deep question I know. of the day. It's a good one. So let's stop there. Let I think ask you, you. Have, you have it for me today. I do. I'm going to blow your mind and everyone else's that's out there in movie land. Sticking with us, if you've listened to any episode of Cinema Drive, you know we always have a deep question. And today, Jason, I want to ask you, you start... A movie theater. You, Jason West, you start a movie theater. What's the name? That's a good one. Yeah. Wouldn't wouldn't it be so fun to have your own theater where you could show whatever you wanted? Yeah. Yes. I'd I'd cut out a lot of sour grapes. Mm. What does that mean? (laughs) Uh, Just films I don't appreciate. Avatar (laughs) 2. What was that? What? What did you say? Nothing. Avatar? No. no. <laughs> Don't worry I about it. I just realized what you said. Uh, wow. Could you just let that go, maybe? <laughs> poor Jim Cameron alone. He's been so oppressed with that. Yeah. He, you know, anyway. Yeah, uh, you could show whatever you want to show. Whatever I want to show. Okay. The the name of the movie theater, it's toying with something with the word rewind, because, you, you love know, that word. Child yes. of the 80s, you rewound your tapes. When we were starting this podcast, half the names you came up with had the word rewind. It's in them. true. Yeah. Yep. I'd have to go with something a little bit more relevant to our times, which I'd have to go with the Monarch Theater, which is, of course, where Bruce Wayne's parents were gunned Ah. down brutally. Or they weren't gunned down there, but as they were walking through Crime Alley coming from the Monarch Theater, that's where they met their demise. So it's a little shout out to a little bit of my childhood. A horrible moment in history. Yeah. As we're talking about the summer of 89. That's true. Another famous movie of 89, Batman, where I believe that's probably the name used for the theater in at least that version. I don't know which movies Monarch Theater has been used in, but it's been used in the comics as well, right? I believe so, yeah. Right, that's like, At least that's like where it. I'm pulling it from the old memory bank as you ask me this question. I mean, it's dark, but it suits you, Jason. Yeah, absolutely. Just a little depressing. It suits me. <laughs> <laughs> that's great. All right, mine... I was also toying around with kind of a meta thing like like you did. I almost called it the Richmond Theater, mm. which, as Jason knows, is the theater in <laughs> the concert hall in Streets of Fire. Uh, they call it the Richmond, and I would have called it the Richmond, but I'm not going to do that, especially with the popularity of Ted Lasso uh, yeah. with the Richmond. It's just that that name has been appropriated, and I, I can't make do. I can't use it. So I'm sticking with the Legacy Cinema. Legacy Cinema. It's going to show all kinds of movies that have, you guessed it, legacy, that have stuck around, uh, that have a reason to stay around, and also movies that should be included hmm. uh, as legacy cinema. And so, I would so, call it the legacy. So are you talking about, I don't know, Titanic and Avatar? No, <laughs> no Jason, I'm not. But I am talking about Aliens and The Abyss. Nice. And I'm talking about the first two Terminator films. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was going to say every Terminator film out there. I'm like, wait, no, for me, that's only one and two. Uh, that's the kind of cinema you'd find there is, is stuff that has staying power. 
And I would want to include newer films too. Um, and I think we'll have to continue this in another deep question. I want to take over tonight too much, but I love this idea of us having probably not rival movie theaters. I think they would be in competition with one another. Okay, well, I hope you are at least like, you know, a town away. My goodness. Probably down the road. Okay. Are you yeah. are you going to have any Tell me about tell me about the amenities in your theater. I'm not talking about screens. Let's just talk about besides the actual movie theater. What are you going to have in there? Are you going to have a bar? Are you going to have a bowling alley? What do you got? No, stale popcorn. <laughs> Watered down sodas. <laughs> I might just do like I want to encourage people to actually support other businesses too yeah. by going and buying candy. That's that, what I'd at want a fair do. price. I would want a separate bar or restaurant or snack shop to take up shop in partnership with my building. So I would charge them rent and you know a portion of the proceeds or something like that, some kind of partnership. I think that's the way to go. But I would definitely have a little arcade in mind too, Jason. Cute. Okay. Yeah. 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 It'd be a lot of fun. More than like the one or two that they have in theaters now. Exactly. That just suck. Yeah. It'd be a moderate amount. Not too many. That's fair. But some great movie themed stuff. As you're collecting those quarters, I'll be collecting the big bucks. You're using what? I haven't heard anything about your amenities. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> exactly. I haven't I, gone that I, far in my I, head. I know. I have the vision. Uh, let's talk about Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. Absolutely. Was this movie scarring to you in any way? Let's start with the dark stuff. Let's no. talk about the scarring moments. No. All right, so the bee chase was not freaky at all to you as a kid? No, super super thrilling. I, I Oh, absolutely, but it's also It is crazy. really interesting. I feel like I am able to, for the most part, disconnect from like horrific scary scenes uh, as a kid there are definitely movies that impacted me and i still feel like you know i've i've talked about my experience with watching the movie paranormal activity after i had just bought a home and it was super decrepit and gross and freaked the heck out of me the first night i stayed there but honey i shrunk the kids was just such an adventurous yes. movie for me that even even the like don't eat me dad <laughs> like at the end of the film <laughs> I think it it made it exciting Absolutely. for me, and I think I I would put myself in that kid situation of like, what if I was on that spoon <laughs> in that milk? <laughs> like it sounds so stupid. About to be devoured by Rick Moranis. It, <laughs> the worst fate humanity <laughs> can ever provide. Uh, but I I just don't. I think I was so enthralled. Yeah. with the adventure of these kids are everyday kids. These are you as the audience. Yes. You were filling yourself in their shoes mm -hmm. in the adventures that they're going on yeah. of trying being stuck in the backyard and trying to make their way through the forest of the yard that, back that, to the house. It being enthralling is exactly what makes it so impactful is the scorpion versus anti fight. When the ant dies, you are sad. You are grieving the loss of a character to some degree. If you, if you watch this with children, <laughs> they they feel it. My yeah, my my daughters got sad at that part. I don't recall ever being extremely. Well, that's because you're heartless. Maybe, uh, but no, it is ex so exciting. I mean, they're going through this jungle, and I, that's why I love is just like uh, other movies of the time. It doesn't have a crazy save the world plot. It's just we have to mm -hmm. cross our backyard to yes. get back home. It's beautiful in its simplicity, and there's so many story opportunities there, starting from you know being swept up and being dumped in the trash to making your way out, avoiding sprinklers and mowers and and uh, bugs and animals and 
uh, it's so much fun. I mean, just the idea of shrinking, that inspired hours of playtime for me, hours of entertainment. Just yeah, think, what would it be like to be that size in this situation, in this context? Uh, and I think, like I said before, it's so grounded with great characters uh, that have their own struggles with, you know, father and son with big Russell and little Russell, uh, muscle Russell, and then the marriage of Wayne and Diane and, and uh, his absentee kind of fatherhood going on. Which, which let me say that totally passed over the strain in their relationship totally passed See, over my head as a is, kid. This is where we're different. I always remember there not being something right. I couldn't, I couldn't nail it down, but I remember that there was, problems just like there's problems with amy and amy has things that she wants and and she wants to go to the mall and and little russell we don't know what he wants but we know by the end they want each other jason and that's not (laughs) uh we'll talk about the most unrealistic part of this film which is that they shrink diane is with rick moranis (laughs) (laughs) that was the other thing i'm like why is she with him um i i think those characters which we get to spend a lot of time with, they really do help to make it a realistic suburban neighborhood adventure. Because it's not just, oh, this is a crazy situation, but they're fun. I mean, the way that, that Rick Maris delivers his line when he tells her, oh, it's not so great. You know, <laughs> shark the kid, Thompson he, kids too. They're yeah. in the backyard. And, and just... His delivery, it's just what makes him Rick Moranis. This is the role that Rick Moranis was was born for. Yeah. I love him in Ghostbusters. I love him in Streets of Fire. But th- there is no, something... <laughs> terrible example, but keep going. No, you're supposed to hate him. Like, yeah. I, I'm just saying his performance in yeah. Streets of Fire is fantastic. Because it just it makes you like shiver a little bit at how gross he is. Yes. But... I think he was born to play kind of the the goofy scientist, yes. absent-minded father that is a fantastic inventor, fantastic in quotations. Yes. Uh, his his things work, but he doesn't always get them right, and they always cause problems if you watch the second and third movie, which please don't keep it to the first. Um, he was born for this role. I disagree with you a little bit that I I never feel like these characters are super fleshed out or that I know them or care about oh, no. them. no. But in the context of an deeply. hour and a half Disney movie, yes. that's there's plenty of meat there, there for this silly context. There gives you enough meat on the bones, definitely, yeah. to be able to enjoy and understand right. personality quirks. And But I love what you're saying of just this idea of you're taking something so normal yes. and mundane and you're building an adventure around this one concept of yeah. what if your backyard wasn't safe or what goes on beneath your feet that you're not aware of and you're building this entire adventurous story that's just super creative it's super fun uh the let's talk about the graphics at the time of this film yeah were bar not i mean it was like it just didn't even feel like it was kids level movie standards right this was this was hollywood at its peak in what they were putting on the screen and showing you it looked incredible at the time you've got some matte lines going on with some flying scenes but for the most part it's amazing watching this now and seeing how much of it holds up sure you got joe johnston who's the special effects guru Mm -hmm. directing this uh right before he did the rocketeer uh, so he knows what he's doing, and he's directing with confidence. And 
one of the other things I noticed too, along with the graphics, is the transitions. There are so many seamless, smart transitions where you think you're looking at one thing that's still part of the last scene, but it's mm-hmm. now gone to the mm-hmm. next scene. Uh, just subtly, and it's something I don't think I've I noticed until recently. Um, and it just helps move the story along. Just keeps it cl- clever and quirky. Uh, but yeah, the, the special effects are, I think, groundbreaking in a lot of ways. Yeah. I, I completely believe that they are a quarter inch tall. Mm-hmm. And I completely believe all the danger. I believe that they can't be heard. Um, I, I believe that that big cigarette is going to be a nice bonfire for them when it gets flicked across the, the yard. I, I, I believe that it's going to take them all day to get back to their you know back stoop well you know in the the unmade fourth sequel that they were talking about uh it was actually all the kids now they're adults and they all have lung cancer <laughs> from inhaling that's what a ginormous that's what I was cigarette this last time i was like oh don't get too don't get too close to breathing that yeah kids. it's like they're like oh Second Dad smoking smoke. again i was like mm, kind of feel like your reaction might be a little stronger to right. that to a giant jumbo tower size <laughs> cigarette sitting two inches in front of your oh, face maybe it relax them jason um <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah all the dangers are are great you got huge screws um mm-hmm. you have this gigantic dog you've got the ant you've got the scorpion you've you've got these amazing blades of grass uh that just when I think of the movie, I always think about those blades of grass. Like yeah. it's it's very unique to that film. Um, completely agree. Terrific visual effects. Uh, but I think I think the legacy of this film is that they were the first ones to really do it in that context. Mm-hmm. I mean, we'd seen similar stuff before, but but not in such the uh, uh I don't know like an everyday way where they're just dealing with common household situations, uh, but in a new way. And so that imagination, I, I think I get inspired every time I see it. I'm like, what a great idea. They really take the concept, I think, to its its fullest mm-hmm. with mm-hmm. that. Um, yeah, it's a great adventure. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and it's, it's hard to put into words just the excitement that this elicited from me as a kid of mm-hmm. just it. Uh, we've we've said this before, but it just made the mundane magical. Yes. And it, it put such a creative spin on the ordinary and as an adult i look back on watching that film yeah even the games i played afterwards like it just inspired and sparked so much imagination and it made me look around the mundane the normal Mm -hmm. my everyday life with such wonder and now as an uh, an adult and a parent when i showed this movie to my kids for the first time like i got to watch that same magic light up in their eyes there is something, again, you said it at the beginning of this episode of just there's something really simple about this story told. It's not the apocalypse. Yeah. It's not some world-ending device that some superhero has to come out of the sky and save everybody and turn back time or whatever. It is this simple, silly concept, but but still very yeah. simple in its execution of just kids are shrunk by dad's oddball scientific machine shrinking ray they're swept up in the debris placed out in the trash now they need to cross the entire backyard their biggest threats are a lawnmower right the water sprinkler that causes a mudslide yeah i i just love the imagination yes that 
this has for for young people, for adults even. Yeah. Again, after we watched this movie, I think it was like the next Saturday I had to mow the lawn and I, I told the kids, like, <laughs> I went and looked for them and very specifically was like, oh, just making sure you were here. Get not, off the grass! And not shrunk in the backyard. And they were like, daddy. Like, very, they're used to my right. stupid dad jokes. I always remember thinking as a kid, like, get off the grass. It's so extreme. Then as an adult, right. you're like, oh, yes, you could kill the children. <laughs> There's very real danger here. Right. Right. But even even I just love when they, they hook up the contraption where they're looking through yes. the microscope into the grass well into the night yeah. where they're not touching the grass and they're softly like calling out <laughs> their kids' names so and the neighbors look at that and they're just like, what yes. the heck? Again, it there is a level of like, if this were to happen, sure, how would you handle that? Yeah. Of course, you would you would need to look for the kids. You would never touch the grass. Yeah. You'd never know what's beneath your feet. Right. But then it brings it back to a reality a little bit of just like everyone looking and being like, Nick, what are you doing? Amy. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's so great. And we, we see both sides of the fence. They're, they're like weird family. Yeah. And just seeing each other. You know, Amy's doing her, to me, iconic dance in the, in the kitchen and, and uh, little Russell spying on her and, and they're looking across to you know, this uh, fishing obsessed family and, right. and the obnoxious you know, Ron and... Uh, so that's one of the great things about this movie is they come together for, I always thought it was Thanksgiving dinner because there's a turkey. Uh, <laughs> I, I think it Why is. Why not? Um, and so th- there's something gained. Like, yeah. it's really cool. They are so annoying. Each of them has the, these weaknesses. Uh, and it's cool to see them come together. And I, I still love that it's not overly saccharine, too. Like, mm-hmm. even uh, Big Russell being shrunk and then resized, like, and then putting on his baseball hat. And, like, clearly there's some kinks to work out right. because it's hat is now too big right, for right. his head just little little nods uh yeah to the imperfection of what we're dealing with here can i ask you real quick ryan yes. how in love with amy o'neill were you watching this movie uh i i very much um thought amy would be a very good person for me to consider a romantic relationship with uh so i did consider <laughs> She's, she would be wonderful to bear my children. <laughs> uh, yeah, I I thought she was great. She she was, uh, yeah, she she did a great job. What about you? <laughs> it's a very PC answer. Yeah, I I was I was pretty in love with Amy yes. O'Neill. So I kudos I would to not, her. I would I, not disagree with that statement. I feel like I just feel like a cast of kids. I, I will say this about the whole in in all seriousness. The cast is mainly children, and I actually thought they did a wonderful, wonderful job. Casting children is always so hard. You just never know where their talent is going to lie. Yeah. Um, But I feel like they absolutely crushed it. And watching it as an adult, do I see the world's greatest actors on the screen? Sure. No. No way. Did they do a bang-up job and really help you buy into the adventure the absurdity of the situation did they have great kind of tongue-in-cheek reaction to this very surreal wacky adventure situation that they find themselves in absolutely 100 absolutely sold they're not annoying that's a huge win for any kid actor especially watching as an adult you're like oh you're not annoying it's like kihu kwan in indian jones and temple of doom Sure. You're like, this is a movie where it could just be, you know, another classic George Lucas little kid situation. Like, they, they did it. They made it happen. Right. 
Uh, well, and I yeah. think that's something you and I have have talked about, particularly even with movies that focus on children or teens mm-hmm. back in the eighties. Is I feel like in that decade, in that generation, we actually took children a little bit more seriously, and kids weren't always the you know just the love interest or just the silly kind of break from the dire situation yeah they were actually taken seriously and i mean you know in the original red dawn we see some of the kids just begin to crack beneath the pressure of this guerrilla warfare that they're uh using against these invading this invading army and when the remake of of red dawn in the early 2000 teens, it very much was just kind of popcorn. Like, oh, look at these beautiful people right. walking around. These and are the if, hottest kids we could find, right? And if you're a teenager, you're gonna love watching these teens yeah. light up the screen yeah. with will they, won't they romance and guns blazing and looking so cool. So I think there is something even clearly, Honey, I Shrunk the Kids is a movie intended for children. Yes, but I think it's something that adults enjoyed and still can enjoy regardless of that nostalgia factor because we take the main cast of characters serious for you know what the story entails that you need to take them serious for clearly it's not a red dawn film (laughs) level of seriousness but there is there's a little bit of gravity and weight to the situation. Right. These are kids who are scared out of their minds and just trying to make it home. Yeah. They're on what we would consider an adventure, but it's not like they're having a ton of fun all the time with everything that's going on. Yeah. So I just really feel like they sold it. And we just think about kids differently in movies now, which yeah. is a little sad to we me. We do. Did you have any lines that you would quote? Yeah, you know, like that you guys would just like recall all the time as, as a kid or stuff that made you laugh. Any, any favorite moments? Good night, home. Amy. Good night, Amy. That's, that's, <laughs> I, that's that was definitely one of them. And also, um, when she's like trying to get Ron to listen, he's like putting his finger in his ears, and they're separated from little Russ and Nick. And she's like, "You know, this could be a dream, but if it was, would this hurt?" And then <laughs> grabs his ears, and just there's just such great little moments like that. Yeah. That uh, just rewatching this, I'm like remembering as they go. I'm like, oh, this is funny. Good night, Amy. That's uh, that's the best. That's they really my, did a good job. Yeah. This is a good film. It's worth checking out. I think one of Joe Johnston's best for sure. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I don't, again, it's hard to put into words because this is a movie, again, intended for children, yet somehow it just feels like it transcends a little bit of the age, the lines of age in that you can sit down and enjoy this movie, whether you're, you know, five or six years old or 60 years old. There is something just really enjoyable and fun and pure right. about this film. I don't know how el- how better to put it than there is just like I completely agree with you. It's just good family fun. Yeah, and th- there's arcs in it too. It's not just an adventure, but there there sure. is yeah, that's an a good arc. Call. Uh, even with the success of this guy is working hard, you know, for the sake of his family and sake of his science, like he's going to do well now because he invented something that works. Um, what day of the week does this movie take place on? It's a Monday. No, it's not. Are you serious? I don't know. Do you, are you psychotic? Do you actually believe it's a Monday? No, I believe it's a Saturday. That's what I believe. I always, like, to me, this was like a Saturday watch because it took place on a Saturday. So that's like the inception of movies. I'm like, I gotta watch this on a Saturday. It takes place on a Saturday. It's like watching Friday on a Friday. You know, you feel the vibe. Like Friday the 13th on Friday the No, 13th. I mean Friday. <laughs> I know. Okay. I know what you're talking about. <laughs> um, 
but what's weird is that he goes to work and it's not like he's going to work to work overtime like there's a conference there like there's a prearranged meeting there so i was like watching this this time i didn't want to believe it but i was like is this friday is it is it also summer break they're going on family trips to the camping grounds that's why i think right. it could be a monday i th- yeah like they're they're well, i think saturday because they do he, he's not working because dad doesn't necessarily have summer break unless he did take vacation but it just it weirded me out because he is going to the conference and also diana's realtor and she's showing homes and you don't show homes on monday you show homes on saturday and sunday so there's my argument jason not in 89 sir what <laughs> in 89 you always showed houses on mondays <laughs> yes jason and what an imagination you have this movie really did inspire some imagination for you, didn't it? Absolutely. Monday, <laughs> best day of the week. Uh, terrific film. Check it out. Uh, we'll be right back after a quick commercial break. Good evening, Mr. Hunt. The podcast, Cinema Drive. Since it began a few seasons ago, there have been unintended consequences. Its film analysis and deep appreciation of what makes movies worthwhile have wreaked havoc on audiences across the globe. Multiple targets have presented themselves to Cinema Drive's relentless impact, and we anticipate this network increasing at an alarming rate. Both hosts are currently at large. This cinematic epidemic is proving to be an ambitious operation and cannot be contained. Jason West and Ryan Tiran provide an unprecedented perspective to the magic of movies and the artistry of film. Your mission, should you choose to accept it, is to spread the word of Cinema Drive's impact using any means at your disposal. Intelligence recommends making contact with two immediate friends to communicate the power of the show. If you or any member of your team are caught or killed, the secretary will disavow any knowledge of your actions. Good luck, Ethan. This message will self-destruct in five seconds. And we're back. Ryan, let's dive in to the second best Indiana Jones film ever created. And I've met a lot of people who who find this to be their favorite. And I, I have... Have you? that as well yeah i don't disagree with it there's so much humor in this it's probably the funniest of the films uh great chemistry between connery and ford yeah and you get marcus brody and salad like everyone uh interacting mm-hmm. so it doesn't surprise me when people say this is their favorite yeah, to me absolutely. raiders will always be the og yes uh but uh yeah i lots of people find this to be the best one yes i have heard that a lot as well ryan and it's hard for me to argue against it. I, yeah. I feel like it's a matter of preference, and I am in the same boat as you. Raiders is always going to be the best. I think there are story sure. elements that are just super tight within that that are a little bit looser because the, yeah. the style and format of uh, the third film, The Last Crusade, is a little bit different than Raiders, yeah. and that's totally fine. And and I completely understand the beautiful, wonderful, amazing chemistry between Ford and Connery that... Honestly, I watched this film and I think this is what I wanted the chemistry to be in the third Die Hard film. Sure. That was so missing. Die Hard with a Vengeance, I feel like 
if we had Samuel L. Jackson and Bruce Willis yeah. with the same kind of chemistry and dynamic that Ford and Connery had, I would have enjoyed that film right. so much more immensely. Because I think what they did successfully in The Last Crusade was they still kept Harrison Ford's Indiana Jones, Indiana Jones. And yes. He was extremely recognizable, mostly from Raiders. I do feel like Temple of Doom was a step down. Um, just as far as Ford's performance and the story mm-hmm. itself, and mm-hmm. they dove into a lot of what I would just say is a little bit silliness in right. in the story that was being told. But The Last Crusade, I thought, brought it back. They rubber banded back to kind of what made Raiders so wonderful. Right. And they, they one-upped it by adding Connery into the mix and making him a big part of the story diving a little bit deeper into Indiana Jones history, both who his father is, as well as even the opening scene, uh, which I love. Uh, We had talked earlier. We're going to get there. I believe in season two. I'm just going to say. You shut your mouth. Okay. Uh, Uh, I will wait. I want to agree with you and say there's an arc here. Yes. The first two movies are thrilling. They're wonderful action-adventure films. But this one has emotional content, emotional weight, and a reconciliation that needs to happen. Mm -hmm. And we didn't even know we were waiting for that you don't even think about the the first two movies not having that because there are emotional moments right but this one has uh so many places to go with that and and uniting the father and son and it's so key that this is the third film because now we know for sure who indiana jones is mm-hmm. it's not like in the first one where you, you know if his dad showed up you're like well i think he's an adventurous guy so i guess that makes sense that he's saying you, you know, this happens to me all the time you know it's a new experience for me to get shot at it happens to me all the time uh, like we were talking about Black Adam recently, where uh, Hawkman, Hawkman, and Hawkman, Hawkman, <laughs> and Doctor Fate are like having the shared history, but right. we don't really care when they part ways by the end of the film because we don't know any of that history. We don't know who these characters are. Well, it felt very similar to how Lucas set up in the prequels that Anakin and Obi-Wan always had the dialogue of you're like a brother to right. me or you were like a brother to me. Right. And you as the audience are supposed to buy right. that they have this history. I'm saying it. So it's true from dialogue, right? That feels very unearned. And that's very right. much what it felt like in black Adam, though. Right. I thought black Adam, uh, perhaps had a little bit more natural dialogue. So it felt slightly more natural, but it was a far cry from what we see with right. Indiana Jones and his father. It's the show don't tell. And so right. so by the time we get to the third one, we're like, oh yeah, this is Indiana Jones, man. And he, he doesn't know his own son. Yes. So it's so fun for us to see him kind of impress his father when he his father still thinks of him as a young man mm-hmm. who needs to be taught a thing or two. And, and we realize that he's the one that is being taught something by his son. And so that's a beautiful reconciliation as they go on and as they learn about each other and right. learn about their history and what was missing and, and start to understand each other. It's, it's so fulfilling. Mm-hmm. And the last thing I want to say before we get into that amazing intro is that this movie is fun. Yes. And Raiders is fun. It's a different kind. This one is, is fun in the way that like guardians of the galaxy is fun where there's hijinks and there is humor and Raiders, you always feel the urgency and and the stress of what's happening. But wouldn't you say last crusade is just all out fun. Yeah. In the last season we looked at romancing the stone and Raiders of the lost Ark and kind of compared those and, and looked at them together as kind of these globe trotting adventures. And, but in some ways I feel as though the last crusade 
and Romancing the Stone actually share a little bit more similar tones. That's a great point. As far as Romancing the Stone never takes itself too seriously, neither does Last Crusade. Sure. Versus Raiders of the Lost Ark, while it has fun and interesting and quirky yeah. moments, yeah. it is a more serious yeah, tale that it takes that the material telling. more seriously. That's, that's yeah. a great insight. And I don't think I realized that as much uh, until I really sit down and think about it. Sure, yeah. Because you think of them as just being... You know, pretty contiguous, but they are. Each film does something different with his character, even though he's very much himself. Yeah, absolutely. So in 1986, Harrison Ford uh, stars in the Mosquito Coast with Helen Mirren, mm-hmm. and River Phoenix is cast as, as his son and makes such an impression on Ford that Ford himself handpicks him to play a younger version of Indy uh, in, I think one of my favorite movie intros ever. When I, when I think of the summer blockbuster season, I think of the opening to Last Crusade. Just just the big blue mm-hmm. sky and this adventurous landscape and the unexpected twists and turns of it, starting from you think you're looking at Indiana Jones, you realize Indiana Jones is also looking at this guy who becomes the inspiration for Indiana Jones. And This is probably the only time when the whole... Solo a Star Wars story bullcrap of where did this come from? Where did this come from? And the stormtroopers are clones. Whatever else you want to say in pop culture, you know, overexplained films, this actually works. It's probably the only time where it works, where he gets the whip, he gets the scar, he gets the fear of snakes, and we see, I don't know, the adventure begin in a lot of ways. Yeah, there, there is, you know, you and I had talked about this opening again a previous season where i had said i don't buy it i'm not in love with it like i understand oh i forgot about where it's coming from yeah after after we had that conversation i did go back and rewatch the film and i do i do have a new appreciation for it i don't think i love it nearly as much as you do but there is something that is extremely fun and intelligent about the way that it is written and about the way that it inspired who indiana jones becomes mm-hmm. the indiana jones that we know and love from two previous well, and already films. is in a yes. lot of ways yes and uh one of the things that i actually appreciate and it's been done to death at this point but back in 89 i i don't know that a ton of other films had done this but it it surprised me right. i did not see this in 89 but the first time I watched it, and then it was probably a decade before I watched it again, honestly, hmm. as a kid. Um, I was surprised. That just made me cry a little bit. <laughs> I was surprised that the opening is not Indiana Jones. Yes. And that's what you're led to believe. Yes. But it's done so well. Yes. And, um, and then you get the date. Yes. Yes. That is what I think... It feels like, oh, you pulled the wool over my eyes. Right. But this feels like an Indiana Jones film. Yeah. And therefore, I'm willing to, like, still invest here. Yeah. It's so fun. It's so well done. The surprise always, I shouldn't say always got me, but it got me, like, twice. It always has impact. And then again, when I watched it as a teen. Sure. I was like, I totally forgot that. That's not Indiana Jones. It's so well done. But you Hmm. get that sense of adventure and that iconic, like thrill like in the back of your throat of just like this is it this is it and he turns around and it's not him 
But of course, he goes on to inspire the young Indiana Jones right. in the way that he looks and the way that he acts in his attire. Yeah. So I, I love that inspiration. And even the simple things were like, you know, the, the, he's trying to explain everything to his friend and, you know, it's only a snake, you know, just kind, kind of putting you where you need to be in the timeline. Like, okay, so that's different. Uh, and so focused and determined, River Phoenix channels his inner Harrison Ford so well. Uh, you, but that by the time we get to the snake pit, we're like, okay, so this is what traumatized him, right. et cetera. Uh, but even him coming out and he's got the, um, when he's running out of the cave, and Sarah and I both noticed it. He's like, everybody's lost but me. He, he just has this this Harrison Ford cadence, mm-hmm. uh, intentional or no, that's so great. You, you completely believe it's him, but then he tries to jump on the horse and it doesn't happen. So you get this mix and match of like, he's in the end Jones. He doesn't yeah. win them all. He does lose. And he's still becoming the man he's going to be. Uh, so you have this thrilling opening that does connect and takes us right yes. into... Uh, the Portuguese coast in 1938. And we get to learn a little bit more about him, that he's always had this desire to, you know, have history displayed and preserved Mm -hmm. and, and not be a treasure hunter. And it connects us to his father as well. Yes. Yes. And I love what you're pointing out. That's actually one of the things I think we talked about again in our episode on romancing the stone and Raiders of the lost Ark. But that was so apparent to me in this film is this idea that, yeah, Indiana Jones doesn't always win. He's yeah. got the worst of luck. He never wins. So actually. many in of, the end, he never here, wins. Here's here's what I would say to that though: is I don't feel like he wins in the ways that right. he thinks he needs to win, or in that the ways he sets the plot out, tells us. Right in the yeah. ways that he sets out to win, he always fails. Right, uh, he does not get the Ark of the Covenant. The Holy Grail is lost. The Shankara stones are to preserve the village, but he he wins against evil. I was even going to say he ends like relationally. He always ends up winning at the end of Raiders. He ends up with Marion and at the end of the last crusade, he and his father have this newfound respect for each other. And so there is this fantastic way in which what he sets out to gain, he does not uh, actually succeed Mm -hmm. in, but what he very unintentionally uh, doesn't know that he needs he finds yes. by the end of the film yes. and so there is victory in his success at the end of the film but it's not what you expect mm-hmm. it to be and that is like the life blood of indiana jones films well it's so cool too at the beginning of the movie uh henry jones senior is asking for illumination and that really connects with what you're talking about he, he kind of gets it mm-hmm. by the end and realizes what he's missed uh just even with the 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 death uh, of his son where he thinks is the death off that cliff and realizing how much he means to him and right. the things he wants to say to him. Uh, I'm going to take us on a slight derailment off of this Temple of Doom <laughs> rail car. Stick with me. I know why George Lucas chose Hayden Christensen to be Anakin Skywalker. Wow, that is derailing it is, this conversation. It is, but it's not as much as you, th- as you think. So we always thought pretty wooden performance. He was not choosing Hayden Christensen. He was choosing Sean Patrick Flannery. If you watch any clip of the Young Indiana Jones Chronicles, The Adventures of Young Indiana Jones, Sean Patrick Flannery is very much a progenitor of Hayden Christensen. Mm -hmm. He even looks like him. 
in a lot of ways and will make some of the expressions that Hayden Christensen does. You're laughing. You're laughing. I, I, I know you are. I but don't hear it. here's the difference. Sean Patrick Flannery is actually very much more Michael J. Fox-esque with his the way he presents himself and just that natural kind of flair that Fox has. But Hayden Christensen didn't get that part. He just got the looks and the kind of general vocal tone to him. And I think George Lucas loved Sean Patrick Flannery, would have cast him if he was the right age, and Hayden Christensen was the closest thing he could come to him. But you should check out any episode of The Young Indiana Jones Chronicles and listen and watch Flannery. It's amazing how similar he is to Christensen. You can see why George Lucas was inspired by that. Do you think that's crazy? I'm processing. I think it's a little crazy. Okay, so here's why I want to tell you. At the beginning of this episode, I showed you a picture of Hayden Christensen. That was not Hayden Christensen. That was Sean Patrick Flannery. Wow, mind and you, blown. you totally thought it was. Mind blown. Because they make some of the same expressions. It was blowing my mind, too, as I was watching some clips. I was like, this is what George Lucas was looking for. And apparently... In contrast to the River Phoenix thing, where Harrison Ford was like, this is going to be a good representation of me younger. Supposedly, George Lucas was impressed that Sean Patrick Flannery was just trying to be himself and not trying to be a young Harrison mm-hmm. Ford. And that's kind of what he wanted from Hayden Christensen, is don't act like Mark Hamill's father or whatever, but just be <laughs> yourself. And I think that's another reason why he chose him. And you can get that for the TV show, which is kind of its own thing. You know, you see that Sean Patrick Flannery just needed to be himself, which he, he's he got you know kind of a natural charisma. But yeah, I'm pretty sure that's what happened, is he's like, man, Hayden Christensen is another Sean Patrick Flannery. Interesting. Yeah. Well, to that, George Lucas, I would say, you have chosen Paul. <laughs> <laughs> Terrific. Way to get us, get us back on track. <laughs> I had to drop this knowledge uh, on the podcast for everyone that we solved the mystery. It's fascinating. You Just listening to him sometimes is uh creepy how much he sounds like christensen because he gets a little wooden but he still has that michael j fox organic acting to him that christensen didn't always necessarily have ryan your choice in continuing this part of the conversation (laughs) all i I have to all i have to to say to that is you have chosen i had to finish up with a fourth and fifth film that are going to be subpar to the rest poorly (laughs) uh this is the bright spot before we get to Crystal Skull and Dial of Destiny, Last Crusade really cemented the trilogy. Uh, this was the final. But before I knew my history, I thought it was called the Last Crusade because it was like his final adventure. I was like, "Oh, this is really cool." It's like his 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 last ride. I had Shouldn't no idea. It have been? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Well, you get the wonderful, wonderful dialogue too as they're kind of riding off into the sunset of yes. where the name. At the very Indy. end, Indy comes from. Yes, I the love last that moment, and it's it's this it's this moment of it feels like the story is ending, but it's almost taking you back to the beginning yes. through the dialogue of this is the name that you have adopted for yourself. Well, let me tell you, like the secret origin of this, and you as the audience are like, what? And that's basically how the movie ends. But I love that it's this kind of like this big circle of. Right. It's the end. It's the last crusade. It's his final ride. He's riding off into the sunset, not alone, but with his father. 
and then you learn something right. really key and important about right. his past. Don't that, call me that, please. Yes. You're like you're you're learning that okay, he's a junior, so you're kind of figuring right. that out. But then like where did Indiana come from? And Harrison Ford is so freaking serious in that moment too, where he's like, got a lot of fond memories of that dog. Like he is not joking right. about this. That's what cements it as they're all just laughing. Yeah. <laughs> he's just like, this is not funny. It's beautiful. So well done. Uh, I love the globe trotting aspect of this. I think that's the most fun is he, he goes the farthest in this one. I mean, we go from rainy castles to Venice to back to the, uh, you know, deserts of the middle east um so it's a lot of fun mm-hmm. globe trotting keeping up with the, with the joneses <laughs> uh, so that that's a great setting especially with you know james bond in tow and so fun that they got james bond to be the father of indiana jones as as he was uh you know story-wise creatively as they were coming up right. with indiana jones back back in the uh 70s 80s I'm glad I'm glad you pointed that out. That is one of the I think most fun things to kind of look at as far as like bigger picture kind yes. of how the film was made and even how you came up with the character of Indiana Jones. Right. I I love that as well. Yeah. I'm glad you brought that up. And I love the chemistry of Connery and Ford. I I love how natural they seem. It it feels like they have history from the get-go. And I think that's hard to pull off. And I think both these guys are at the top of their game. This is obviously a great Connery performance. Mm-hmm. Um, he he is completely believable. He doesn't just join these new upstarts, Lucas and Spielberg, for this goofy story to get a paycheck. He believes in what he's doing. He yeah. sells uh, the impact of the grail and what it means for history, for culture, Uh He's completely devoted to what he's doing. And I, I love that Connery didn't phone it in because he totally could have. Uh, you can see a version of that where he does. And and he and Harrison Ford are having so much fun. Uh, it, it sells the relationship extremely well. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Easy, easy question for you, Ryan. But I just need to hear it from you directly. Who would you, you want to be your father, Sean Connery? Or Rick Moranis, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Sean, Sean Connery. Hmm. I don't. I don't want it. I don't want to be one of his science experiments. <laughs> I think I could learn a lot from Rick. Yeah, Dad, Daddy Rick. Yeah. <laughs> I suppose. Is that who you choose? No, I would totally pick Sir Sean Connery. <laughs> but I'm. I want to give Rick Moranis a, a good shake. So, for the sake of argument, I'll choose Rick. You choose Sean. We'll okay. see who comes out better. <laughs> we will. Jason, what's one of your favorite action sequences from this film? Action? Yeah, of which there are many. Oh, man. You, you've, you've got, well, I'll give you time to think. You've got the Venice chase. You've got the motorcycle chase. You've got the castle hijinks before the motorcycle chase. You've got the desert chase. You've got the, the tank in the desert. Absolutely. That, you have to go with that because I feel like that is what, I don't know. It just feels like something I had never seen before at that time. You know, nowadays with Fast and the Furious, we have cars driving through tanks and tanks driving through submarines and boats flying through planes or whatever. You know, it, it, everything has been done before, but in the summer of 89, having a chase with a tank, I don't feel like I had ever seen anything like that Mm -hmm. before. And as a kid, 
there is nothing cooler than a tank. Yeah. And and to have that chase involving the tank was just so powerful, it was so gripping. It was so adventurous. Yeah, and that's Spielberg doing what he does best, which is creating memorable action, memorable moments. And you, you, I watch a Fast and Furious movie, and I can't remember which movie has which scene and which beat, but I could watch Last Crusade and tell you each thing that was about to happen sure. next. You've got them tied up and going, you know, tr- trying to get out, him dropping the lighter, setting <laughs> setting the carpet on fire and the chair, and then getting to the fireplace, turning around and, and going through. Like, there's so many memorable moments, just as the, the people in the secret room are smiling at them, and they smile back and then sound the alarm. Mm-hmm. Uh, you've got the motorcycle chase, sending the boat away, going through the chase, him grabbing that pole to joust the oncoming right motorcyclist much to his father's delight as he realizes what he's going to do you know his this professor of medieval history uh the one they hope they don't get uh and then throwing the pole through the spokes like all these memorable moments mm-hmm. and then immediately like brought down you know, he keeps grinning at his father with like the exhilaration of what's happening which we've seen as early as raiders like he's having fun as he's winning and his father is in no way enjoying this. Well, and I, I just love that dynamic too because it's it's clearly like it just feeds into that idea that Indiana Jones has always sought the approval yes. of his father. And his father has always found these moments for teaching his son, yeah. never seeing that his son is his own person at yeah. this point, but always feeling like I need to be the teacher. I need to, you know, assess your performance mm-hmm. and let you know how you can do better because I've done this for longer. Yeah. And yeah, Indiana Jones is having fun with what he's doing, and he's thrilled right. by the adventure and the misfortune and things going his way, seemingly. And so there is that juxtaposition. And again, it just informs, it's even in those small moments, it informs their relationship throughout yes. the entire movie. Yeah. But th- that, that look each time where, where he's grinning at his father, Harrison Ford's face just immediately goes sour as mm-hmm. it sees there's nothing happening there and then the, the the whole desert cliff chase so many moments so memorable uh spielberg is a master with this stuff because mm-hmm. it's not just shooting action but it's making it memorable mm-hmm. even if you only watch the movie once you're going to be entertained because the moments were so fun or creative or thrilling uh, but each time you watch it, it's like visiting an old friend, and it's comfortable. Mm-hmm. You're like, man, this this is so well sequenced. And I, I think uh, Spielberg is a storyboard master, if memory yes. serves. Like he storyboards everything, and so he knows exactly what he's looking for. And someone pointed out recently, even watching the exposition scene in Raiders, where they're talking to the government men about the Ark and trading information and setting the stage for the plot, just the way they block that scene. Uh, was showing all four men and going down to the one mm-hmm. sitting down and looking up and and uh, Indiana and Marcus kind of moving around and interacting and realizing what this means and and it's fascinating to watch it's exciting to watch even though they're just talking about history it's it's actually an interesting scene rather yeah. than just boring exposition yeah well and we we've talked about in previous episodes some of the weaknesses that Spielberg can have in kind of shoehorning in some emotion by including scenes that are supposed to drive, 
you as the audience to care for the characters that you're viewing and how that doesn't always work because situations don't drive those emotions always, but it's it's actual character development. And so I feel like Spielberg can be weak or weaker in that area. But man, yeah, where he excels, as you're saying, is storyboarding the heck out of stuff and knowing exactly where cameras need to be to make even the most mundane scenes feel important yes. and really engaging, really exciting. Yes. You are engaged with that exposition because of how it's shot, because it's engaging your eye. Yes. It's also engaging your brain and your ears. And Spielberg is a master at that kind of stuff. Yeah. And that, that emotion you're talking about, that, that is, this is one of those films where that is well done. And we feel the catharsis of the father and son uniting mm-hmm. by the end. And and, and we, I, I love that what's at stake is his father's life by right. the end we're going through the trials and he has to do what his father has been trying to do right. Right. all along he has to pick up his father's legacy not because he wants to necessarily he doesn't even care he's he says the whole movie i'm just trying to save my dad uh and then he has to go through for the sake of his father well it's it's a great uniting idea a great story concept yeah well and that's what threw me when you were like let's talk about the action what's your favorite action scene because it's actually the trials at the end of the film yeah that are my absolute favorite i want to get there moment. Yep. and it's i feel like it is the crowning achievement of the movie because they're so well put together they're great puzzles you have yes. indiana talking through uh everything that he's learned from his father and yeah. trying to make sense of these puzzles and trials it's brilliantly done and it's so thrilling. I find that at times so much more engaging and adventurous mm-hmm. than sometimes the action itself. Though the action is nothing to be, you know, mm-hmm. sneezed at. Right. Absolutely brilliant action yes. in the film. But that's always what I think of when I think about like what do I love about this movie? Yeah. It's the trials at the end. It's a great finish to the film and even ending with letting the grail go and being in the same spot as Elsa is as she makes her fateful choice mm-hmm. and uh just that moment when Connery calls him Indiana mm-hmm. and, and the music picks up, John Williams' wonderful score picks up and, and we are carried along with Indiana to just to let it go and move forward. And it's a great wrap up to these movies, where, which are about history and, and archaeology and, and uh, this awesome character. And it's just a sweet, simple moment mm-hmm. uh, that I love to close it out. Did you know that the reason we did not get more Indiana Jones movies was because George Lucas couldn't think of any more stories? No. That's why they stopped. I think they were all having fun. I think Ford Ford has said this is one of his favorite roles. But Lucas basically ran out of ideas, which shocks me that we could have gotten, you know, six more Indiana Jones films. Right. And he just kind of gave it up because he couldn't think of anything. Well, less is more sometimes. So, I mean, he could have had... a bazillion terrible ideas who knows well folks let us know your thoughts on honey i shrunk the kids and indiana jones and the last crusade were these the incredible movies that you grew up with as well have you rewatched them recently what are your current thoughts on how incredible these films are there is only one right answer to the question but let us know yours good night amy good night amy we'll catch you next time Check us out online at thisiscinemadrive.com. Go to our dialogue page and start a conversation with us. We'd love to hear from you. 
Special thanks for our music goes to Time Cop 1983. I'm Ryan. And I'm Jason. We'll catch you under the marquee.